0: For those who've been around for a little while, you'd have heard us speaking over a number of months now um, uh, out of 1 Corinthians. Um, and for those again who have been amongst us will remember that this is uh, written to a church in a, in, a, in, a, in a kind of society not dissimilar to ours. With lots of kind of um, sexualization, uh, lots of different views, a bit of a melting pot a bit of a kind of free-for-all, go do what you want, if it feels good, do it, allied with a kind of, a super kind of um, legalistic, this is the way you should live your life, uh, kind of, and these two polar opposites kind of coming together um, within the, uh, the, the the city of Corinth, uh, where this church was based. Um, and we've kind of gone through a whole kind of period up front, looking at some kind of just um, general truths that Paul was bringing to the church and talking about the importance of the, the apostolic gifting So, and what an apostle is, that they lay the foundations into the church. They're there to, uh, for the church's good, um, but ultimately they're servants of the church. They're not some kind of glorious superstar which you can go away and play top trumps with. Um, uh, they are kind of there to serve. And now Paul's moved into this period of the letter where he seems to be dealing with a set of questions have either been sent to him or uh, in, a letter, in a letter to Paul or have been kind of asked of him by individuals over times. And he seems to be dealing with them uh, one by one in the church. And last week um, we, we looked at one of those and it was about kind of the, we um, really bored, kind of came down to the fact of um, should I be changing my circumstances in order to be a better Christian? Um, and it' was kind of particularly talking about sex, and so should I be entering into sex, or should we be somehow free from sex and we don 't we don't touch that, and we kind of keep ourselves pure on one side, or is sex is, does it really matter it 's only our physical bodies? we can go and do what we want and, uh, uh, and kind of follow that kind of ideal and, uh, and then he kind of comes brings that round and is this morph into this question that we 're going to look at today. Um, which, which ultimately is kind of saying actually your physical circumstances, whether you're married or not, whether you've got a posh job, whether you're a servant, whether you're a slave, uh, all of those things, they're not the important thing. The important thing is who are you in Christ uh, and what's your, um, where, your significance and your importance, your function, everything comes from that. So don't wait for a better circumstance in this world before you feel you can enter into the goodness and the wonder of the kingdom of God, enter into it in the circumstances you find yourself. So the next question Paul kind of uh, comes to kind of is a neatly, uh, neat follow-on, and it seems to be, um, uh, should we as Christians be getting married? Um, and And I guess the fact that they're asking the question suggests that there was more than one view as to what the answer might be amongst the church. Um, And I wonder if also there was a little bit of a dig at Paul. So Paul himself wasn't married and going to ask the the kind of single man, should we be married or not? Either came with a bit of a needle, you're not, so you're going to tell us that we shouldn't, or you're kind of failing because you're not married. And there was a kind of whichever side of the argument you sat, you thought this is going to be a good one to throw at Paul. Let's see how he is going to deal with this. Um, this is a, a, a really interesting question within our society, I think, um, where we kind of we sit somewhere between this high pressure to be married and to have a family and to live a, a normal life. And then this kind of idea that actually, you no know, family is an outdated concept. You don't need family. We can just kind of be what and whatever we choose to be in a moment and, and kind of live in this broader sense of community um, which doesn't have a, a family uh, need underpinning it. Um, and I think, to be honest, it's not that different to what we saw back in Corinth at the time of this letter. So I think it's particularly interesting for us. Um, so let's, let's read the passage. We're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians 7 and read from verse 25 and we'll read through to to the end of the chapter, verse 40, and it should come up behind me. Now about virgins, and and when we talk about virgins here, um, it it often gets translated as betrothed, um, but it's it's really talking about those that are um, ready for marriage. They're kind of at an age where they would get married. And this was probably originally written to the parents, and particularly the fathers of their children, and again, particularly the daughters, it was kind of saying, actually, um, when you are considering getting your daughters married, here's, here's the advice. Uh, obviously, in our culture, we don't have that kind of pattern where fathers marry off their daughters and have those kind of arrangements, but um, that's the, the kind of original context. So, considering... Now, about virgins... I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this, I'll be very careful how I unpack that verse. (laughs) Thank you, Martin, for putting this series together. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting on in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right. And he who does not marry her does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies... She is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. Um, just that, that last little section, those last few verses, appear to be a different question being asked, um, which is along the lines of if, uh, 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 if someone is widowed, um, are they free to remarry? And Paul just kind of tags that on the end because it kind of fits within the same chunk. Let's pray and then let's, let's take a look. Lord Jesus, we just ask for your wisdom and your spirit to be upon us this morning. Lord, as we open up your word, Lord, we know that these are not just dry teachings, but these are words uh, dripping with your grace and with your spirit, and they are there for our good and to make us more like you. So, Lord, this morning, as we proclaim these and look into them, Lord, would you allow them to transform our hearts? Thank you, Jesus. Now, I reckon... Obviously, Paul didn't have children, but if he did have children, they'd been listening to him or listening to him prepare this or written his letter. I reckon they'd have been mocking him. I think they'd be, saying, Dad, you, you, you're kind of saying a bit of nothing in all of that, saying, "Oh yeah, it's good to get married, but you don't get married. That's good as well. So if you want to be single? You can be you can be single if you want. That's fine. If that's good. Well, that's that's probably better. And it's like, Dad, can you, you're not focusing. You're not getting to the point. There would have been plenty of ridicule." And I think as we read it, we can kind of see that, and you're kind of left thinking, well, what is he saying? He's kind of saying a bit of everything and a bit of nothing at the same time. Um, but I think, I think there's a reason for that, and I think when you actually look at it, it's not what he's doing. Um, but I think there is a reason it can come across like that. I think the main reason for that is actually Paul's trying to lift the eyes of his readers higher. He's trying to say that, you're focusing here on the things of the world and the things that are going to be temporary, and what I want to do is lift your eyes up to the things that are here. And then there's things here which are good and, and can form a part of what you're getting to here, but they're not the thing. They're not the thing that I want you to be worrying about. And if we were to kind of summarise what I believe Paul's message is in this passage, it's this. Changing your physical temporary situation will not and cannot contribute anything to your ability to enter into the kingdom of God. Changing your physical temporary situation will not and cannot contribute anything to your ability to enter the kingdom of God. We saw this last week where Paul kind of talks about circumcision. Well, if you're circumcised, Stay circumcised. I'm not sure how you reverse that, but probably best not getting into it anyway. If you're not circumcised when you enter the kingdom of God, don't go and get yourself circumcised. It's kind of you're kind of concentrating on the wrong thing. If if you, if you came into the kingdom of God uh, unmarried, don't kind of think that in order to now enter the kingdom of God you need to go and get married. Um, that, that's uh, You've entered the kingdom of God, and if you came in married, don't then seek to get a divorce. (laughs) You're in the circumstance you come in, and that is who you are. It's how you enter the kingdom of God. Nothing you do can make you more a part of the kingdom of God. Nothing you do can make make you more functional within the kingdom of God just by fixing the things of this world. And Paul is at length to lay this out, and we saw that last week. Ian preached on that very well. I've still got quite a boom. It's mainly when I walk back here, Dave. But we could do that. I don't know if that will help. But, um. Not really. If you just, you just turn me down and I'll talk louder if it helps. Um, so so we're left in this kind of this kind of overall context that Paul lays out. And I think the first question we should ask ourselves on the back of that is how should we live? So how are we called to live? What are the things that we are to value? Where are we to look? What are we to um, kind of uh, fix our eyes upon? And one of the, the phrases that Paul uses, is, the time has grown near, or the time is short. You'll see it translated differently in different um, translations. Um, and he also refers to a distress. Um, there's this kind of feeling of... Um, Something is wrong. Now, we don't know exactly what he's referring to, but it seems pretty clear he's talking about a present distress to the church in Corinth or even wider. There's something going on. Um, Now, obviously, we know there's been persecution within the church in a number of areas. There's there's a number of things that this could be, but there's this sense of distress um, in the middle of it. And I think the immediate context is probably not completely important to this where we stand today, but it's important to realise that he's talking to a church that is in distress. And what he does is he points to the shortness and the temporary nature of this time. And I think in that he's not saying, don't worry, things will get better and the crisis will pass. What he's saying is this block of time, the block of time between when Jesus ascended and left us with his Holy Spirit and the time when Jesus will return is a temporary moment. The Bible always talks about it as short, which we always find difficult, because to be honest, 70 years just for one of us on earth feels like a long time, doesn't it? Um, And certainly when you kind of think, well, it's now 2,000 to nearly 2,000 years, um, kind of since he left, uh, left the earth, that's a really long time. But I think what you'll find is when you get to the end of it and you look back, when Jesus does come again, you suddenly see that time was so short as you then look into eternity. But the fact is it's a temporary moment that we are in. Our worldly instinct, when pressure hits, when distress hits, when things are difficult, is to cling on to things of the world. So you lose your job, the first thing you do is say, I need to get all my money together. I need to make sure I've got all my money sorted and and I'm okay. And I'm definitely going to hold on to what I've got. Um, uh, When when things go wrong with children, um, uh, the the temptation is just to cling to them and hold them and stop them entering into danger and and harm. Uh, We we will cling to things when there's distress. I think Paul's teaching here is that this moment is is distressful uh, and what the church is seeking to do is say, well, if I just get married, then it will fix it. If I stay single, it will fix it. And Paul's point here is actually neither of those two things is the important thing. The important thing is where you are looking. And there's this this funny kind of passage which the the wording is quite compressed in the original uh, language. um, Where, in verse 29, what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Now, it's quite clear that Paul is not suggesting that married men should go out and consider them not to, themselves not to have wives. Um, so, And then as we follow on, those who mourn as if they did not. Well, it's been quite clear that uh, mourning is, is a part of life. And Jesus himself said, Mourn with those who mourn uh, and rejoice with those who rejoice. And the next says, those who are happy or those who rejoice as if they were not. Those who buy something as if they were not theirs to keep. Those who use the, use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. And the, it's a difficult passage because the, the tensing isn't even clear. So some people would translate that as looking forward to a day when um, you will live as though you have no wife because there's a day coming where we will all be married to Christ. Uh, there will be a day where uh, even the, the, the days of this human rejoicing and mourning will be gone uh, and, and will kind of enter into this eternal um, kingdom. Um, there, there's kind of a, the sense of looking forward. And I think however you kind of phrase the translation on that what it is doing is comparing how we can live in today's world and we can mourn and rejoice in the things of today and we can hold the things of this world close to our hearts in a way that distracts us from the good things of the kingdom of God and if we value those things and if we try and cling to those things what we'll find is we will very quickly lose our grip on the things of the kingdom and we will become distant from the kingdom and, and we will live miss out on so much of its goodness. So he's calling us not to be caught up in the trappings of this world, not to, to kind of cling to things that are created rather than the creator. We're to live our eyes as if We are focused on God. And I think if you imagine yourself going out for a walk and if the only place you look is the thing right in front of you and you walk like this, you'll very quickly find you're going on a very strange path and you'll kind of maybe end up in circles because you're only looking here and you won't get you'll be less effective you'll be less um uh, you'll you get less in fair terms of where you're trying to get to if you take your eyes up and think well I'm heading for that pillar, you will walk straight towards it it's uh, you'll be straight you'll be effective you'll be quick you you'll enjoy the blessings of the pillar if there were such a thing um And I think it's exactly the same with the kingdom of God. If we try and look at the the things that God has put in front of us in a moment, and if we see that as the sum total of everything that is the kingdom of God, then we will miss and we'll end up going around in circles and miss the wonders of the kingdom of God in front of us. If we fix our eyes and say, right, this is what the kingdom's about, and we're going to look a little bit at that in a minute, and say, those are the things that I'm going to pursue at all costs, and we keep our eyes up just as Paul draws us, then we will go to places that you cannot even imagine today, that we can't see in the square inch in front of us. So I just want to kind of restate on the back of that, that no one is disqualified from that journey. No one at all is disqualified. When we enter into the kingdom of God, age, jobs illness, social standing, house moves, mourning, rejoicing, marital status, nothing stops our ability to enter into the kingdom of God and to start our journey towards Jesus. Nothing. And I I know that so often our hearts and our minds will try and tell us something different. If only we've got this thing sorted. If only I was married. If only I had children. If only I had an easier job. If only I hadn't got this sickness. If only things weren't so difficult and my heart was so sad. If only. And God says, no, in that moment, the kingdom of God is there. And the way you respond and react is a kingdom moment and a kingdom, um, uh, a kingdom moment. So, just ask yourself: Are there things in your life that you're saying, "Once I've got this, then I can fully enter into the goodness of God"? Are there things that you've said in your heart that you you just need to get this thing sorted, and then it's fully, I'm gonna go. And if there are, I just want you to encourage you and say, "What does the kingdom say about that? How the What's the kingdom response to that?" Now, thankfully, Paul, as well as kind of getting beneath the question and kind of digging at the roots of it and saying, "Well, actually you've kind of um, uh, you, you kind of that the question you're asking isn't really where the problem is, the problem's somewhere else." He digs at that, and then really helpfully for us. He does deal with the question itself. Um, So he could easily have just walked away at the point and said, right, you've got your answer. Um, But he doesn't. He comes back. And the fact is, every single one of us, I can say categorically, will at some point in our lives be single. Now, for some of us, that's in the past, um, because we are born single. um, And we live the first chunk of our lives as single people. The fact is, even for those of us who are married, the likelihood is over 50% of us will at some point again be single. And that's uh, the the nature of life. And it kind of comes to the tail end of what Paul brings in this passage. Um, So the question of singleness is so, so important for us to consider. And we talk a lot about marriage, and Paul talks a lot about marriage. He clearly values it highly, and we value it very highly in terms of its place amongst the church and in the kingdom. But Paul is at absolute lengths here to address the matter of singleness. And the fact that actually the majority of our New Testament was written by people who were single, I think is often missed. It's either about Jesus, it's all about Jesus, but the Gospels, particularly the story of Jesus here on earth, a single man, or it's written by Paul. And then there's some other bits and pieces in there, but those are the... Uh, the majority of what we see. Um, so I think it's helpful for us to consider. Now, the problem, what well, problem? The, the history behind this is in a Jewish nation, God made a promise to Abraham, and he said, you will be the father of many, many uh, sons. And he says, your descendants will outnumber the stars. And b- embedded within that promise is something built around childbirth. And if you look at the Jewish nation, its primary way of growth, its primary evangelism strategy was to have children. Uh, and they were very, very good at it. They had big families and they grew and God's promise to Abraham was partially fulfilled within that, uh, the Jewish nation. You could see a picture of what was to come as they filled um, so much of the earth that they found. And it was a problem. The Egyptians didn't like it, the Philistines didn't like it. All the, all the nations around didn't like this, 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 this family that just grew, whoosh. But embedded within it was this sense of children being born to Jewish parents and the, 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 the kind of the history being passed through and this nation being born. We do see, and it, there was absolutely space um, uh, for those from other nations. And I mean, we even read of Rahab um, uh, in the New Testament as, as a kind of example of this. Um, so there was that sense of people born unnaturally into the Jewish nation, but the primary way was through childbirth. So, therefore, within Jewish culture, there was and is a very high estimation of marriage. Um, it was a, a very kind of um, dominant um, construct within the Jewish world. Uh, Unfortunately, at the expense of singleness, a singleness, particularly at this time within the Jewish world, had been, um, it it was odd. It was strange. There was something wrong, generally, if there was uh, uh, someone who was single when they got to a certain age. Um, There was something incomplete and unfulfilled about that. So how does Paul conclude, come from there, He's obviously a single guy, and he comes to this conclusion um, where he basically says, being married is good. If you, if you want to get married, get married. Go do it. But it, if, if you kind of feel um, actually you can be single, then be single. It's better. It's kind of go be married and go be single. It's better. And there's this kind of sense of uh, how does Paul come to that conclusion? And I think the prophet Isaiah can help us with this. Um, Because I think he begins to unfold a bigger picture for the Jewish nation. And we're going to do a real rattle stop tour of this now. Um, And you can go away and and check my maths afterwards. Uh, In in Isaiah 53, Isaiah prophesies that there is someone coming um, who will bring good news for all. and he will come, and he will take the punishment of their people. He will redeem them from their sin, uh, and he will um, take them out of slavery. And he makes this big promise, looking forward to Jesus. There is one coming who will take you out of your slavery and redeem you. And we've even been singing around that this morning. In chapter 4, he then says, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child... Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labour, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Right on the back of hearing of this one, this Jesus who is coming, who will redeem um, people from slavery, Paul brings um, (laughs) Isaiah. uh, Then goes on to prophesy about a barren woman, a woman who has no husband, and talks this strange language: "You will have more children than the married woman." There's a strange kind of feel. You flick over, we'll skip chapter 55 for a minute. Chapter 56, Isaiah goes on to talk about eunuchs um, and the blessing that they will have um, uh, and kind of uh, the contrasts, um, the the kind of dryness of a eunuch within the culture there and the blessing that will be poured out upon them. Again, barren women and eunuchs, they're they're not the, the likely candidates Uh, for an Abrahamic-style nation to go forward. They're not the ones that are going to see children born. And yet he promises something different here. (laughs) I think there's a key that begins to unlock this in chapter 55, where um, Isaiah prophesies, Surely you will summon the nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you, because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, For he has endowed you with splendour, and there's this this promise that actually, yeah, you are a nation today—the Jewish Israel nation, born of Abraham, with the twelve tribes—and you've kind of you've built your own nation, built on this this sense of family and kind of childbirth. But actually, there's a day coming when all the nations will come running, all the nations. Uh, And we also, in this passage, we haven't got time to unpack every little bit of it, but he talks about my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Um, The the phrase that Jesus then brings when he goes tearing through the money changers in the temple, and he says, you've taken the place for the nations, and you've you've used it as a, a den of thieves. And he throws the tables out. In disgust, because he, he knew what Isaiah was talking about. He knew that this house, this, this, this nation of Israel, wasn't, wasn't the fullness. It was a picture of what was to come, but it wasn't the fullness. Uh, so there's a day coming, and then the, when um, Jesus is here on earth, he addresses Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, what can I do to be saved? How can I enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus kind of replies, this strange reply, well, the way you can enter the kingdom of God is to be born again. And Nicodemus says, you're mad. Look at the size of me. How am I ever going to be born again? And she says, no, you've missed the point. You've been born of a mother, but actually you've been born of flesh. But to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. And there's this moment, there's a different birth. And the kingdom of God requires a different birth to the birth of the flesh. It requires the birth of the spirit. And there's all this uh, this strangeness beginning to come together, kind of intimating a different kind of kingdom that's to come. Um, And when Jesus has uh, given up his life on the cross... He's risen again, and he's just about to be ascended into heaven and begin this passage of time that we are in today. Uh, He gets his disciples together, and he says to them, "'All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. "'Therefore go and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the day. He doesn't say, go, have more children. Although quite clearly he doesn't preclude that. And it's good. Um, Children and family is good. But he doesn't give that as his command to them. He's not giving another Abrahamic style prophecy here and kind of saying, you will have descendants uh, through your fleshly um, childbirth. He's saying, actually, no, no, this is a birth of the Spirit. Go into all the nations. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And go make, make, make children, uh, baptize them, see them born again into the, to the birth of the Spirit. And then he ascends to heaven, and the Spirit descends. Upon Peter and the other, the other apostles. And Peter's very first sermon, he goes out there and he proclaims the words of the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days. And this is, this is trying to explain to people. Everyone is confused. These guys have come out of a room. They're speaking in a strange language that everyone seems to be able to understand. And Peter is at length to say what has happened. And he talks about the fact that, that man that you crucified is actually the Messiah. And then he goes on to explain this in the words of the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. See, suddenly Peter's got it. Suddenly, as the spirit has descended on him, all of this kind of things that had seemed a little strange in the moment, and kind of trying to imagine what this picture is that's being painted through Isaiah, through Joel, through the words of Jesus, uh, through the, 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 the commandment that Jesus gave them as he left, all these things, suddenly the spirit descended and he said, I get it. We are here to go and make children not in the fleshly sense but in the sense of the spirit and we're going to go and the spirit of God is going to be poured out on all flesh from all the nations they will come and as they call upon the name of the Lord they will be saved. That is now everything for me. That's where I'm going. It's my call. It's my conviction. It's what burns within my heart and as the spirit comes it transforms their whole whole vision. You see... They were looking and they saw the pillar. They'd stopped looking at the floor in front of them and they saw, actually, no, I've got a longer way to go. I've got this glorious kingdom from all nations coming together. They'd lifted their eyes. We're called to be fathers and mothers, but not necessarily in the same sense of the Jewish nation. We're called to go... And bring the, the blood of the new Adam, Jesus, as he died on the cross and created, reestablished the bloodline that was clean and pure. And we are called into that bloodline and to be born in the spirit. So this changes the dynamic between marriage and singleness. Uh, marriage and childbirth are no longer the primary way to enlarge the kingdom of God. Although I would say as an aside, they're not a bad way. And we should be considering our our children and and kind of saying, how can we see our children not just born into the flesh, um, into our families, but also born into the Spirit? And we should be praying regularly for our children, uh, both as mothers and fathers, but as a church, for the, the goodness to our kids. And we're lucky to have such great kids amongst us who have already started that journey so wonderfully. And you see them coming back from New Day and, and, and West Point, and you see the Spirit just beginning to spark in their lives, and it's so wonderful. We should fan those flames. Um, uh, but we are also called to go to all nations to baptise new believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this kind of is where Paul picks up, really. and He's saying, if that is the vision. If that's where you're going, don't get hung up in whether you're married or not. And actually, there is goodness in being single that goes far beyond the goodness that you can find in a marriage. And I would say to our single people and our young people who are caught within this at this moment in life, that God is calling you to be dangerous people within this world. You are there to go to the front line in a way that Some of us who are married and have children have to do in a different way. We have to go differently. But God would say to you, go to that front line fast, run with all your pace, and go and give the enemy a good wallop. (laughs) Go and see people born again. I I just want to speak that into lives. And young people, this is for you. I just... I think God would say he wants to give you a spirit of evangelism. A spirit of salvation that goes with the message of the kingdom and goes to your friends at school, uh, for those of you in a working environment, in your working environment, um, and you go and you go with the spirit of salvation. You have a real privilege in your singleness and I know sometimes it doesn't feel like that and it can be hard for a, uh, someone a married chap here to kind of t- to say that but there is such a privilege in singleness and such a freedom and joy in it that I just don't want you to miss out on there's, there's specifics around this and we'll, we'll touch on them briefly uh, there's a freedom of location when God speaks to you and I know that he will speak to people in this church. In fact, he already has um, about moving to a different location. And we saw Naomi and Erin, um, Naomi and Anna, uh, move to a, a different location even last week. Or oh, they're moving this right now, probably. But um, but we've seen that call of God, and they've just gone. Now, yeah, they're going to university, and they've they've chosen the best course and all of that. And, uh, that's that's how God has guided them, but God has spoken to them and called them from here in Exmouth to go to Southampton and to go to Birmingham. And they've gone. And we need to honour their obedience and their trust in those steps. But actually, I know that God will speak to others at different times. Sometimes it'll be going off to university. It might be going off to join a church plant. It might be going off to Africa. It might be going off to India. It might be, who knows, where God will call you. Um, And And as a single person, when God calls you like that, you can just go. Just go. Well, everything will... All the practicals, all of that, yeah, we need to sort them and kind of that, but but you can just go. As a married man, if I hear God call me to go to a a remote island with very little electricity to an unreached tribe in the middle of an ocean somewhere, I know I've got a long trip to go through to get to a place where my wife can hear and accept that call and my kids and all of that will come together before we can actually say with a joined heart and say, yes, let's go for this. So there's a freedom of location that comes with this. There's a freedom of time. Um, this passage talks about this kind of this d- division of interest or division of um, uh, kind of where you focus, your, focus yourselves and it, when you are married, there are times where you do just need to make space for your spouse, your wife, your husband. That you need to make space for your and time for your kids, and and your interests become divided. Now, those are good things. They're things we are called to do. We are called to care and look after our wives, our husbands, our children. Uh, that's that's part of the calling of God. But that doesn't mean that the opposite side of that, when you're single, and that's not part of your call, doesn't release you to do a whole load more. So you can go off and use that time, that space. Let me please encourage you guys, those of you who are single, um, and then for to be honest, those of us who are married, let's not waste our time. It's so easy in this world, and if we t- take this kind of example of worldly things, the worldly things want your time. Everything is engineered to get your time. The next video up on YouTube is just desperately hoping that this is the thing that's going to get you to watch one more video. And will it Netflix? um, You may also be interested in if we can just hook them into this, then we've got them again. Uh, Facebook, one more scroll, one more scroll through these pages. Everything is engineered trying to get your attention. Every billboard you walk past in the street. Everything is just trying to draw your attention in. We need to be really, really careful. None of those things are bad in themselves. Please don't hear that. But we need to be really careful when we look at our time, how we use it. And single people, let me just encourage you, you've got such a blessing of time. You've got space to look at and say, how will I invest my time? That doesn't mean I'm not suggesting you're not busy. But I'm suggesting you, you've got space to look and say, how will I spend my time? Please make yourselves busy. That's kind of half my point. Um, uh, but, but just go and look and say, how can I use my time to invest in the kingdom? How can I use it to become more dangerous? What's the thing that's going to make me the most dangerous in this world? Go and do it. Go do it. Um, freedom of activity, again, it kind of comes together with time. Um, But those things that you do, uh, you can just pursue the things that are on your heart. There's not that sense of trying to draw together a collective of interests between kind of a wife, a husband, children, all of those kinds of things, trying to find something that works for everyone. Those things that God puts on your heart, you just go wholeheartedly and do. I intended just to have a little look at what this means to those who are married, but I'm not going to do that. Um, suffice to say, there are things in here for those who are married. But actually, Paul's main address here is to the single. Um, and, and I think that his main point here is around singleness. Um, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to feel too guilty about skipping over some of that stuff on marriage. So just to conclude, we start with a statement that changing your physical temporary situation will not and cannot contribute anything to your ability to enter the kingdom of God. Let's remember our time is short. Both in terms of our individual lifespan and the time that we have till Christ returns. It may seem like a long while, but that's just a, a temptation, a, a, a fallacy. The reality is it is short. Our time here is short and it will be gone before we know it. The question is, how dangerous are you going to be in the meantime? How much are you going to put yourself in a place where this uh, kind of the worldliness of this world quakes and says, "No, no, not Martin, not Rachel. They're not coming for me, are they? How dangerous will you become?" I just want just to finish very practically. Naomi, uh, Naomi, and Anna have gone um, this weekend. We prayed for them really well last week. It was so great to send them off with such um, passion and a sense of blessing towards them. Um, It was great just to be part of that family moment as we did that. Um, But I want us to think they are going off into the battlefield and they will come under pressure and, and under difficulty. I want us to consider how will we respond to them in this time. They need their loving family here um, to be with them, and they need to know that we are with them. So I want us to consider, go away, think about how we can do that. Something It might be dropping them a text or a message or something. It might be sending them something personal, sending them a cake or who knows what. It may be financially supporting them. They're going into a time where um, money is tight as a student. Uh, perhaps it's financially blessing them. But I want us to think... How can we show them that we are with them as they take these dangerous steps? How can we encourage them to go be more dangerous? Think, is God speaking something? Is he saying something that might prompt them? Um, just, Just have a think. And then think more broadly about how we can do that. To everyone, but I think particularly to some of the single people amongst us. How can we say to them, look, we are for you. We want you to go out there and be as dangerous as you can. And in the moments I'm distracted by um, kind of family life and things, how can I be praying that you are out there um, kind of giving it your all? Let's think about some of those things. And for those of you who are single, let me encourage you, you are very, very dangerous soldiers. As you go into school, as you go into work, um, as you're going into uh, the, the, the kind of businesses around town, Go with that sense of a dangerous spirit, ready to advance the gospel. Let's stand and pray. Lord Jesus, we do just say again that this is first and foremost about you. And Lord, we we want our eyes to be lifted towards you. The things that you value, the things that you see. Lord, your destiny for us, not ours. Uh, Lord, and I just pray that you would put that spirit of adventure into each of our hearts, Lord, whether we're married or whether we're single. Lord, that right now we would feel a sense of the adventure of the kingdom, looking up to the hills and seeing where we're going. We would go with confidence. We would go with a a bravado, not built of our own kind of sense of importance, but built of the, the strength and power of your gospel. Lord Jesus, cause us to be dangerous. Cause us to be dangerous to those things that aren't of your kingdom. Lord, let us see people born again. Let us see salvation come to Exmouth. Let's see it come to the surrounding towns of Budley and Topsham and Limston. Lord Jesus, let it go out and beyond through this town. Let it go to Birmingham. Let it go to Southampton. Let it go to those places we find ourselves, Lord. Let it go to the, to the Navy as people come out to the Navy. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you would, as we go into the places we go, Lord, would you cause us to be dangerous for your gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's...